Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and open up our hearts and our ears to hear a word from you. Lord, we've heard these stories so many times, and so how much more do we need you to open our eyes to hear a fresh word from you? Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I was at Starbucks this week, uh, actually trying to write my sermon, and uh, the song came on, uh, It's the Most Wonderful Time of Year. And it's funny, whenever I hear that song, I almost always think of a commercial from the mid-90s. It was a Staples commercial. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, no one remembers this commercial. Maybe a few of you. Matthias, you might. It's, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a commercial where they show, they show parents bringing their kids for back-to-school shopping. And the, the dad is throwing in pencils and staplers and saying, it's the most wonderful time, and just throwing in school supplies, and the kids are just going there. What is dad doing? <laughs> and my mom would always tease me with that when it came back to school, that she'd say, this is the most wonderful time of the year. And I always think of that when, uh, when I hear that song. Uh, but Advent and Christmas, you know, it is a wonderful time of the year. I love this time of year. But it also can, can be a chaotic time, right? You know, when I talk to, to many of you throughout the week or in the hallways, you know, you tell me, you know, things are busy. I got parties to attend to. I got to finish up things at work. Or if you're a student, I got papers and tests. Or, you know, you have travel plans with family. And it, it can be a very busy time of the year as well. Um, and, you know, and the song says it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. Well, what if you're not of good cheer? What if you're, what if you're having a down Christmas season? This can be a very difficult time of the year. You know, in a, in a season that's meant to be so wonderful, peace can escape us. We can get too busy, we can feel stressed, worried, we can be afraid, we can see family members with whom we have tension with, and we might be mourning family members that are no longer with us. Especially this Christmas season, we need peace. We need to re-experience the peace that we find in Jesus and to be reminded of the peace that he brings us. Today we're continuing our sermon series called What Child Is This?, and we're looking at some of the maybe not so well-known characters of Christmas and how they answer the question, what child is this that is coming into the world? Who is this child Jesus that is coming? Who is this Messiah? And last week, we talked about the story of Elizabeth, where we, when we learned that when we are hopeless, Jesus brings us hope. And today, we are looking at Elizabeth's counterpart, her husband, Zachariah, uh, who was a priest. And so I want to invite you right now to turn in your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 1. Uh, the scripture that was read this morning, we'll be looking at verses 67 through 79. And to kind of, as you're turning there, to refresh your mind to the story, remember that Elizabeth was barren, and that Zechariah and Elizabeth were hoping for a child. And one day, Zechariah, he's serving the Lord, he's a priest, he's serving the Lord in the temple, and the angel Gabriel appears to him and says that Elizabeth is going to have a child who will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And at first, Zechariah doubts. And so the angel uh, condemns him to be silent until John the Baptist, his child, is going to be born. And so when it came time to write down the name for the, or to, to name the child, uh, Zechariah had to write his name down because he could not speak. And as soon as he writes the child's name down, his lips are open and he's able to say something. You know, I can, I can imagine how much you would want to say something after being silent for nine months. I mean, can you imagine... I mean, I just imagine Elizabeth having some fun with this. You know, what, oh, what's, what's that, what's that Zachariah? You'll do the dishes for me, honey? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, 
what's that, Zachariah? You're going to give me a back rub? Okay, okay. You know, I can imagine Elizabeth, you know, been doing some teasing and some stuff like that with him. And, but I mean, I can imagine Zachariah, he's longing to, I mean, he just saw an angel. He saw what God has done, and now he can't say anything about it. And so the Holy Spirit fills him, and now he's able to speak. And he speaks directly from God in the form of a song of thanksgiving. So this, this scripture that we're reading, it's, it's Zechariah's praise and thanksgiving to God. And it tells us a lot about who Jesus is and how we can find peace with him. So I want to focus this morning on, on three ways that Jesus is our peace that we find in this text. And that we learn from Zechariah. And the first is this. Jesus is our peace because he reveals a God who is totally trustworthy. Jesus is our peace because he reveals a God who is totally trustworthy to us. You know, he starts off the song, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed, him, redeemed them. Now, let me pause, you know, because I think, you know, reading some of these Christmas stories, if you don't know the story, it's, it's kind of like walking into a movie halfway through. It's like, you, I mean, you'll have no idea what's going on. You might be able to catch up and figure out what's going on, but you're going to be very confused Unless you know, have known what's going on before. Um, you know, I think many Christians, many people think, you know, the Old Testament, it's old. Therefore, it's not very valuable. It's kind of, you know, Bible 1.0 and the New Testament is 2.0. But no, you, we need the whole story. It's all of God's word and how it's been writing this one continuous story of what God is doing. And obviously, I can't go over the entire biblical story with you. Anybody want to get an amen to that one? We, we can't do that this morning. But we need, I need to remind you of a few things, and many of you already know this, but let me remind you this morning. You know, in the beginning, God and humans and all creation lived in what the Bible calls shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. And it's the idea, you know, it's more than just absence of conflict. It's more than just absence of bad feelings. Shalom is when everything is working as God intended it to be. Everything is existing as God intended it. It's full of life and love and peace and wholeness and joy and well-being. It's good. It's beautiful. It's right. It's very good. That is the biblical sense of peace and shalom. And things were like this when God created the world. Things existed in shalom. But we quickly lost it by sinning and rebelling against God's gracious rule. And we let sin enter the world. And we were separated from God's presence and from his perfect shalom, the peace of God. And so the whole Bible... It's a story about God restoring peace with his people. It's the whole story about God restoring peace. And so he chooses a man named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you. And my blessing on you is I'm going to use you to bless the, the entire world. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, I'm going to restore my peace, my whole peace to the whole world through your family and your descendants. And so not only does God make this promise with Abraham, he makes another promise with one of Abraham's descendants, King David. He says, you're going to have, always have a descendant on the throne. And you will, bring, and you will, restore, you will restore the kingdom, in, in other words. And so uh, God works through King David, and then he begins to speak through the prophets, and he promises this coming king who's going to restore all things and restore the peace. And we get to the close of the Old Testament, and we've heard all of these amazing promises, all of these amazing predictions and foretellings. But the people are not at peace. The people still don't have peace. The story's still not resolved. No, no Messiah has come. No king has come. And they're still under foreign power. And when we get to the time of the New Testament, it's been about 400 years 
since the people have heard from a prophet. It's been about 400 years since they've directly heard a word from God that might give them hope for their situation. And I think perhaps people are beginning to wondering, and in fact, I'm sure of it, that they're wondering, is any of this true? Is God really going to come through for us? Is he really going to send the Messiah? You know, I think maybe like people today, you know, they're wondering, is, is God really there? Is God really going to do anything? He's not really doing the things that he did back in the Bible. He's not speaking the way that he used to speak. Maybe Jesus really isn't going to come back after all. And people begin to doubt and wonder because it's been a long time. But Zechariah, in God's grace, God allows him to see the climax of the story. He recognizes that God is now acting to fulfill all of his promises in this wonderful story. Look in your Bibles at verse 68. He calls God the God of Israel. In other words, he's not giving up on his people. The people that he has chosen to redeem the world, he's not giving up on them. He's still the God of Israel. And he says he has visited his people. He's referring here to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ. And by the coming of the Messiah, God is redeeming them. Now, this idea of redeeming, it's, it's, it's like buying something back that was yours. It's liberating something. It's setting something free. So just as when Israel was in slavery and God came to redeem them out of that situation, so now God is acting to redeem his people out of slavery once again. Only this time, it's to the powers of sin, Satan, death, and hell. Everything that keeps us from the peace of God. Verse 69, he says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, this horn of salvation, that's the, this is the, the idea of, of strength and power. You know, picture the, the horn of a bull, you know, something that is powerful and strong. And he's, uh, he's saying that God is providing a strong salvation out of the house of David or the line of King David. Someone is going to come who is strong to save, who is a mighty savior. God is fulfilling his promise to David and to his people. And he says in verse 70, he has said this all through his holy prophets. You know, everything, God's been doing this because he's been telling us all along. He's foretold it. He's, he's predicted, predicted it. He said it ahead of time. And we, when we look at the, the, the scriptures, we have to say this, this whole Bible has been leading us here. It's been telling us this story that we've been waiting to see the resolve of, the climax of. How is this going to end? And God's been saying this all along. And then verse 70, 72, Zechariah says, He has shown mercy to our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant with the father Abraham. So all God's people who have gone before, God hasn't been unfaithful to them. He's remembering them. He's, being, he's having his mercy upon them and he is fulfilling his covenant with Abraham to bless the entire world, to restore his peace to the whole world through Abraham. So Jesus is very specifically and undeniably Jewish and an Israelite and out of this story. Yet that doesn't make him exclusive because although he, he came as one of God's people, he came to save the entire world. It's through the family of Abraham that God is blessing all of the nations. That's what God is doing in Christ. He's come for the whole world. But here's the important point of what I'm saying here. I kind of give you all that background to say this, that God is fulfilling all his promises Everything in the entire Old Testament, every prophet, every ancestor, every covenant, God is making all things right. And so therefore, he is totally trustworthy. He keeps his word. You know, some of these promises were hundreds of, year old, hundreds of years old. Some to Abraham, is, you know, people think 1,500 or more years old. Some of these are old promises. Yet God hasn't given up. 
God doesn't give up, give up on us the same today. You know, it's, it's hard to have peace when your life feels out of control. When you don't have a God that keeps his word, someone you can trust in. But when you put your trust in the God that Jesus reveals, you will find that you have a father who always provides for you, who forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west, who gives you the hope of heaven and eternal life, whose presence is always with you and so you're never alone, who gives you the power to defeat sin and Satan, who watches over your every step and guides you on your journey of life, who listens to and answers all of your prayers, who gives you a family in the body of Christ, who comforts you in your sorrow, who relieves you in your guilt, who takes your worries and your burdens away, and he gives you a purpose in your life so that when you wake up in the morning, you have something to live for. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead, to fully establish his kingdom, and he will restore all his peace for the whole world. Don't we serve a good God? He is totally trustworthy. We can trust in him. And when you trust in him, when you build your life on the foundation that we have in God and Christ, you will be able to experience a peace that no one else can in the world because it's a peace in a trustworthy God. So Jesus is our peace because he reveals a God who is totally trustworthy. Second reason is Jesus is our peace because he is a mighty savior. He is our peace because he is a mighty savior. The song by Zechariah talks about the, the salvation that God is bringing in, uh, through setting of his son. And he talks about it in many very rich ways because it's so rich of meaning. You know, verse 68, he talks about it as redeeming, redeeming out of slavery. We talked about that. Verse 69, we, we, the horn of salvation uh, out of the servant David. Now remember, David himself was a mighty warrior. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He killed that great giant warrior, Goliath. But now someone mightier. Out of David's line is coming. Another warrior who is mighty to save, and he will save us from all things. Now, I want to just talk about this word salvation. Because I think it kind of becomes to us like Christianese. We just say, oh, Jesus is our Savior. We have salvation. Um, no, salvation, it means that someone is in danger, and they are being rescued from that danger, and now they are made safe. That's what salvation means. You are rescued from danger and made safe. Now, when someone is drowning and about to die, the, life, the, the lifeguard throws them a what? A lifesaver. Because you need your life to be saved. Your life is in danger. You're about to drown. You need salvation. You need someone to rescue you. You need a lifesaver. That is the meaning of salvation. That our lives are in danger of death and judgment. And that Christ has come to give us a lifesaver to save our lives to rescue us from danger, that we might be saved. You know, and so we, I think we have the answer to that question. You know, what, what does Jesus save us from? And as we, we've talked about, sin and, 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 and ju the judgment of God and the wrath of God and all of these things. Uh, but I think when we look at the text, Zechariah kind of tells us something different. Look, look what verse 71 says. It says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Would you ever describe salvation like that? I don't think many, many of us would. And see, here's the tension throughout the Gospels and throughout the Bible. And if you don't understand this, you will not understand what is going on when you read the Gospels. You will not understand if you don't understand this. You see, the Old Testament promises, sometimes if you read them, they seem to say that God is going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel politically. 
that he's going to save them from all of the foreign powers that have dominated them, and that there's going to be an actual king, a literal king, on the throne. And so this is what almost everyone expected Jesus to do, that he was going to be, be a political revolutionary who was going to save them from Rome, and he was going to be an actual king on the throne of Israel, established as a new empire, a new time. That, and that's what many of Jesus' Jesus's disciples, this is what they thought he was doing. And if you remember, when Jesus is on trial for his death, the, the Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he is interrogating him, and he's asking him about what? Are you the king of the Jews? Do you claim to be a king then? See, it's all about he is a threat to Caesar. He is a, they think he is a political king. And what does he have to say to Pilate? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And this is what people in Jesus' day were so confused about. And what some, so many Christians are still confused about. And we not, we were, that Jesus is not redeeming us from the political evils of our day, though he can help with that. No, he is saving us from our spiritual enemies, from the spiritual things that keep us. His kingdom is, is a kingdom of altogether a different sort. You know, you want to know why people in our world don't have a lot of peace? You don't want to know why that there is, there is so much violence, there is so much war, there's abuse of women and hoarding of resources and greed and stealing and lying and murdering and adultery. Do you want to know why? Because there is an enemy of God named Satan. And we don't talk about him as much as we do these days, it seems like. That's, I think that's part of his, his, his schemes. But he is, he is the enemy of God. Jesus calls him the father of lies. Jesus has no problem talking about him. He's the father of lies, and he's out there deceiving the world leading people astray from God. And he uses this destructive power of sin and deceit to rob all of us from the shalom, from the peace that God intended for our world and for our lives. And the bad news is, he is a strong warrior. He is a strong warrior. You know, you may not be off in the deep end, deep end doing things that get you on the news, but the lies that you believe, the little temptations that we give, that we give into that we think are no big deal, the way we let ourselves live so medi mediocrely, so lukewarmly, the way that we take shortcuts in our relationship with God and others, all these things rob us of peace. They rob us of peace. But Jesus, the good news, through his death and resurrection, he has defeated Satan. He has rendered him defeated, and he has given all of us the power to stand firm through the Holy Spirit that we might live on the path of peace. So we can say with Zechariah that, yes, God has given us salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, from the enemy of God, from Satan, from all that holds us back from peace. And then we can begin to understand verse 77. He says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, of their sins. You see, without our sins forgiven, we remain in a state of danger. Under the power of sin, <laughs> under the power of Satan, it's like you're drowning in the ocean, but there's a shark right there. It's like, you need, you need a lifesaver right now. And you're going to stand guilty before the judge of all the earth unless you're thrown a lifesaver, unless you have a, a strong savior who can pull you out. And you can't pull yourself out with, with your good deeds, with how good you live. No one else can pull you out. There's only one person who is strong enough to save, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He can save us. He is a strong savior. And by sending Jesus, we can have all of our sins forgiven. We can have the power of sin and Satan defeated. And you know what this results in? 
Peace. When you trust in a mighty Savior, the result is peace. Look what Romans 5, 1 through 2 says. Paul says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been made right with God through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, through Jesus' atoning death on the cross, through his resurrection, we are made right with God, we are reconciled, and the result is peace. Peace with him and peace with one another. The peace that we lost back in the garden, God is restoring. He's restoring his shalom. Jesus is our mighty Savior, and because of that, he brings peace. Finally, last thing, number three, Jesus is our peace because he guides us on the path of peace. Jesus is our peace because he guides us on the path of peace. Look at verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. He's saying here, Jesus coming into the world is like a light shining in a dark place. It's like the sun rising at the dawn. It's bringing light to everything and so that, that we can see the, the entire scene. We are guided into the path of peace. And this is what Jesus saves us for. Not simply to wait around to get to heaven until we die, but to guide us on the path of peace with our lives now until we arrive home. And I want to suggest to you that the path of peace he is talking about, he has already mentioned in verses 74 and 75. Look what he says there. He says, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In other words, we are saved, we are rescued, and we are empowered to serve God, to have your whole life dedicated with loving obedience, with loving commitment to God with all you are in your whole being. You know, I don't think we easily think of peace like this. We don't really think of peace as serving God, as obeying God. We kind of tend to view that as work, don't we? We tend to view that as a lot of work. And I think our world, maybe under the influence of Satan, deceives us into thinking that, that peace is the absence of responsibility. That peace is the absence of all work. You know, we kind of, we kind of hope Jesus would, would come to us and say, My peace I give to you. Behold, I am sending you on a cruise. To the beach. I mean, we hope Jesus would tell us that. We think of peace as, as, as relaxing in the sand. We think of peace as, as, as watching episodes of TV as much as we want. We think of peace as just sitting on the couch. And granted, we need rest. But my friends, that is not a life of peace. That is not the peace that we are designed to live for. I think if we're honest, some of us, we wish, we wish Jesus was more like Santa giving us the material goods that we want that might make our lives a little bit easier and a little bit more fun. Friends, peace is not the absence of responsibility. Here's what peace is. One definition. Peace is accepting the responsibility to live rightly with God and for God. Peace is accepting the responsibility to live rightly with God and for God. That is the path of peace. You want to have peace in your life? Live rightly with God and for God, and you will experience his shalom in your life. Friends, you will never have peace in your life until you accept the responsibility to live with God and for God. Until you realize that you were made to worship him. You were made to serve him. And until you find that, you won't have it. 
And Jesus is the one who makes all of this possible, inviting us into this path of peace. And that he will be with us when we do so. Because his presence is our peace. So how can we experience this peace of Jesus during the season? Let me give you a few suggestions. The first is this. Trust God with every aspect of your life. Trust him with every, everything in your life. Some of you, you have no peace right now because you're so worried, because you have so much fear and stress. And fear and worry, they've locked you in, you in the cage and you can't get out. You can't get out. Your trust level in God is quite low. And this is why Jesus takes care to remind us all the time. God is our loving Father who provides for us. He provides for his kids. He cares for the birds. He cares for the sparrows. How much more is he going to take care of you? He reminds us, don't let fear and worry lock you in a cage. He is a loving Father. He is totally trustworthy. He fulfills all his promises. Trust your whole life. Put your whole life, put every worry and concern that you have, just put it in his hands. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will take care of you. The second thing that we need to do to experience peace this season, I, I believe, is to tell somebody else about the peace that we have in Jesus. Especially this season. Especially as we remember him. You know, Zechariah, he was forced, he was condemned to be silent for nine months about Jesus. Because of what God has, but because of his unbelief. Now, many of us who believe, we do believe in Jesus, but we still walk around like Zechariah. We're silent about what Jesus has done. We don't tell anybody and we just say, well, well, I hope that they can know about Jesus because of my life. I bet you they won't. They'll just think you're a nice person. The random person may ask, granted, they may, they may get curious. More than likely, they're not going to ask you. They're not. We have to get, we have, we have to not be like Zachariah. We have to tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. The peace that we have access to, this is good news for the world. God has called every Christian, no matter our temperament, no matter our gifting, to tell others about the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. What better time to tell, tell others about Jesus when, we're, when it's being served to us on a platter? Literally, the entire world is thinking about him. Songs about him are on the radio. Christmas, Christ, must, it, the, the celebration of Christ's birth. It's, it's served up to us on a platter, and we just have to take the opportunity. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and speak through you and just leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. Don't worry about what they're going to do with it. Just leave the results to God. Take a step of faith. Don't be like Zachariah. You don't have to be silent. You can tell people about Jesus. We've been given good news. And finally, don't just tell others about the peace of Jesus. Make sure you do show them. Make sure you show them with your life. I want to close with the words of St. Francis of Assisi, that great prayer. May this be what we do this Christmas season. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. May we show and tell others about the peace that we have 
in Jesus Christ this season. What we're going to do now is we're going to enter our prayer.